and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is our long-anticipated NBA Draft 2021 preview of returning players. I did the one-and-done class earlier this week with Matt Penny. Now I've got Rob Doster on, and we're going to talk about some of the returning players and their NBA draft stocks. And because college basketball has kicked off, uh, or I guess tipped off uh, is the proper terminology, uh, earlier this week we're going to get a chance to talk about some of the things we've seen early in the season with some of the very relevant teams within college basketball this season. So, Rob, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good, Sam. I'm I'm happy that I actually get to watch live basketball again. I'm happy I don't have to sit here and watch tape on 19-year-olds from uh, November of 2019 and pretend like it's still an accurate representation of what these players are right now. So I'm I'm just I'm just loving being able to one watch live basketball and two gamble on live basketball because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Rob, I've got to be honest. I have not placed a bet yet this college basketball season. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like I feel bad about it. Don't don't feel bad about it. You're probably coming out ahead at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You killed it's it the first mess, night. Dude. There's there's no way that you're still you're down after that first night. No, I'm I'm not down. I'm I'm up and you know and and it feels like I'm down because I've I took a lot of that money that I won and just like started betting on futures and betting on games that are like two weeks in the future because the, the the lines are all messed up. Um, so it feels like I'm I haven't won as much as I have, but it's uh you know when when you keep getting beats. All right, so. This is like just kind of how the sausage is made. But so I had uh, George Mason minus 16 and a half against Howard the other day because, of course, I bet on George Mason against Howard. And George Mason was up 26 with three minutes left and couldn't cover. We had Michigan State minus 10 and a half the other day. I think this was on Saturday. And they were up by like 27 in the second half against Notre Dame. They were up 17 with a minute and a half left and they couldn't cover. Uh, I had a parlay. That would have paid out at plus eight hundred eighty. Um, I don't know what those odds are in, in in Australian terms, Sam, but it would have made me a lot of money. And all I needed was Villanova to beat Virginia Tech, just on the money line, just win the game. And Villanova blew a twelve point lead in the last nine minutes. They missed two front end of one and ones when they were up by three in the final minute, and they found a way to lose to Virginia Tech. So. It's 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 frustrating and it's tilting and and it's the beauty of betting on college basketball because you just never actually know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're like laughing about betting on like Howard and George Mason. Like we've done way worse than that. Yeah, I like, know <laughs> we've done way worse. I don't want to tell people about it though. <laughs> I was going to say like Howard is like relevant. They have McCur Maker who's not very good, but he still is relevant and. George Mason is what, like a top 150 team this year, probably? Like we've, we've been in the weeds. We've, we've gone into like Morgan State, Coppin State and like dug deep into this shit. No, there's no judgment here, Rob. <laughs> I mean, you're right, man. You're right. You're right. It is, it is what it is. It's, it's the, uh, it's the college basketball streets, man. It's the best when you get to the lowest levels. Oh my God. So. I don't know. Do you want to start by talking about returning college basketball prospects uh, for the NBA, or do you want to start about what we've seen early on in the college basketball season? Let's talk about returning prospects for the NBA, because there's there's some guys that are really interesting to me that I, I'm actually just kind of curious to uh, to get your take on. 
Okay, um, so and, and you know, pick your brain a little bit. No, let, let's who, let's start with who do you think is the most interesting one? The most the most interesting or the or let's say so, best. I mean best when I say that. The the best is probably I know so I think my favorite is probably James Booknight, although I might yeah. be a little bit biased on that one. I'm gonna guess that your top guy is Keontae Johnson. So Florida. I do I do have Keontae Johnson, or I had Keontae Johnson there. I probably would switch to Book Knight now after having seen Book Knight in these uh first couple games, especially against uh who, who was who was the first one? It was uh Central Connecticut, I think, where yep. he was just ridiculous in that game. Um I wanna say, if I remember correctly, he fouled out of the Hartford game, right? Yeah, he was. I mean, he wasn't as good. Uh, it's also just tough to to measure him against either of those teams. But right. I mean, it's the, the the athleticism just kind of hops off the page with him. Um, right. It's it's always going to be the shooting. Uh, I tend to think that the shooting is going to come around, especially because he shot it really well down the stretch of last season. Um, and I always tend to just maybe it's just kind of my one of my blind spots when it comes to evaluating these guys. But I always tend to buy. Um, the shooting for for most of these players because yeah. it's it's a work ethic, a work ethic thing and if if you're if you want to be in on a prospect I tend to be in on the guys that are going to be good workers right so if you're a good worker then it just makes sense that you're going to assume that someone's going to be a better shooter but yeah I mean Book Knight is awesome I, I just I'm, I'm a UConn guy at heart so I, I'm always going to be a big fan of him but I, I just man he, he's the 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 dunk that he had last year against East Carolina you show me that dunk. And then you show me making making like three threes, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in. All in on that guy. No doubt about it. Yeah, and you look at the end of his season last year, I want to say over the last like 11 games or so, he was averaging 17 points so far this year. He's averaged 19 in those first two games. Largely looks similar, I would say, to what he was last year. Somewhat inconsistent shooter. Very explosive athletically, can create his own shot at will. Uh, obviously, the efficiency is bounced up against these two teams that are ranked in the bottom 50 teams in the country that they've played so far. But, man, he's just so athletic, and he's such a ridiculous shot creator. Like, it's it's hard for me to see how he doesn't at least turn into a good bench scorer in the NBA. Uh, there's upside far beyond that, but... Like worst case scenario, like he looks like a good bench scorer as long as the jumper comes around. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that in his range of what, what would you call him? Probably like a late lottery best case scenario, most likely somewhere um, kind of first. like in the late, yeah, like yeah. late teens to early twenties range. You know, you're not looking to get a star there. You're looking to someone that can come in and, and do a job. And if that job is to be uh, something of a microwave score coming off the bench, like that's there, there's value in that range in most NBA drafts when it comes to a player like Book Knight. So, yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And the big things he needs to work on, he could still tighten up his handle a little bit. And the jump shot is going to be the swing skill. Just like what level does he get to? I think he's an okay jump shooter now. Like, I don't think he's a negative jump shooter, but to get to the point that he is trying to get to and that where we think his upside is, he needs to be a high level jump shooter, much in the same way that like Zach Levine developed into a high level jump shooter. But Man, he is just a wild, wild athlete. 
And I think I'd be willing to take him like mid first, even right now, and just kind of bet on it, given where this draft class is. Yeah, I I, I think that's that probably makes sense. Um, can I, I I want a guy. I want your take on a guy. I've watched two of his uh, games already this season, yeah. and I thought he was going to be like the breakout star of college basketball this year, and it just doesn't look like he's going to end up being able to make the jump that I thought he would make, and that's David Johnson at Louisville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've watched uh, certainly the Seton Hall game. I didn't watch the one today or the Evansville game. But, yeah, it seems like to me that – He's not, and this isn't Louisville's fault necessarily. Uh, I'm not talking shit about like the coaching staff at Louisville. It's he's not being used in the situation that is best for his skill set. Like he is an on-ball creator. He is a point guard, and because they have Carleek Jones, who is for the college basketball game, a slightly better point guard right now than David Johnson is because Carly Jones is what? Three years older than David Johnson. Probably he's very, very polished when it comes to ball screens. Yeah. Very, very good. And you want to put the ball in that guy's hands right now, as opposed to David Johnson. So they're utilizing David Johnson on the second side of actions. And David Johnson's really good at playing off of that advantage situation, but he's not, he doesn't it doesn't look super comfortable yet. He's just not quite uh sure when to attack, when to defer. I think that that'll come as the season continues and him and Carly play more together and he'll keep looking better and better as the season gets forward. I've also been told that David Johnson can shoot now. Uh he's only 2 for 9 so far this year, but that coaching staff at Louisville thinks that he is going to shoot the ball this season and and there's actually definitive evidence of that you know if you go back and you watch a Seton Hall game there was a possession I forget what the score was I think that that Louisville was tied in the final minute where David Johnson ended up getting ISO'd on one of Seton Hall's big guys and he pulls up for a three and Chris Mack is not mad about the shot yeah last year if David Johnson would have done that Chris Mack would have been bad about the shot so the the reaction of coaching staffs to when guys take jumpers I think says a lot about what their confidence level is in that player as a shooter and if Chris Mack is happy about David Johnson taking a pull-up jumper when he's got a big guy on him instead of trying to get to the rim that should tell you a lot about what what the staff has seen him do in practice and in different kind of settings. So um, I'm, I'm with you there too. It, it's, I think you're exactly right. And part of my, the part of the reason I expected David Johnson to have a big breakout this season was I just did not think coming in that Carl Leak was going to be able to make the jump uh, that he's been able to make in terms of level. Like normally when you see these really good mid-major guards go up to the power conferences, they, they don't have the same usage rate. They don't have the same um, efficiency. They don't have the same effectiveness when they're playing at a higher level. That's not been the case with Carly. He's been really, really good. Like he's just – both him and David Johnson are just so savvy in ball screens. Like you're never going to yeah. see Louisville do anything other than put one of those two guards in a ball screen because why would you? <laughs> well, the problem was against Seton Hall in the second half that they did not really do that all that often and you saw the lead disappear and dissipate. Uh I've been pretty clear, like in the text chains that we're on. Like, I think Louisville's really underrated this year. Like, I think that they're really, really good. Uh, I've seen no evidence yet 
to make me think otherwise. Like, I think that Jones and Johnson, that has to be a top five backcourt in the country. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I've gone through all the backcourts in the country and, like, you know, definitively assess them versus Louisville. But I certainly can't think of many more backcourts that are better than that. Like, Baylor's would probably be better with Macy Oteague. Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, Gonzaga. I think that just with Jalen Suggs and whoever they're going to put next to him between Ayayi. I mean, Gonzaga's got the best backcourt. They've got the best front court. Yeah. They've got the best team. Like Gonzaga's got the best everything. That's that's my hottest take right yeah. now is that We're, Gonzaga's got the best everything in college basketball. We could talk about that. We'll talk about Gonzaga in a minute here. But like, I, I, other than those two, Illinois. Illinois, I mean, with Io and and Adam Miller, like those, they they got some dudes that can go. And I, I like, I'm a fan of Trent Fraser when you have him in the role as just kind of being the guy that makes shots. Um, so like, I'm 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 big on on Illinois, but I I mean, I like, get I'll, I'll say this, like, I think that they're, I think Illinois is probably better. And if I was picking one or the other, I would take Illinois. But I think it's like the same tier. Like, I would probably take Louisville's guys over Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballack and uh, whoever else you want to put in that backcourt for Sharif Mitchell, maybe, for Creighton. Uh, and I love Marcus Zagorowski probably more than anyone in the country. So, like, man, I think that Louisville backcourt is just going to be a monster. Samuel Williamson is going to be really, really good. They have uh, a freshman in Dre Davis, who I think looks way better than what a lot of people anticipated withers was really good uh in that game late against seton hall jj trainer looks like a guy that could be useful for them i think this is a top 20 team like i'm just going to be honest like I, I think that is a top 20 team in the country and i've been saying that for a while like I, i've seen no reason to believe otherwise there if uh if if malik williams comes back and has the impact that that we expect him to have then i'm with you i'm just a little bit worried about what they have up front like there's not a lot of size yeah uh, the thing about malik williams is he was kind of like uh, like the captain a little bit uh, like he's the guy that kind of marshaled that defense and, yeah. and provided the leadership and was the the vocal like he was he was big on um like when everything happened with brianna taylor and, and kind of in the city and, and the team did some protests and, and organized some things like malik was kind of the voice of all that uh and not having that that kind of presence i think does her especially like he's a he's a pretty good player too like he's a good good college big so not having him there and not necessarily having an adequate replacement i think is not ideal for them but that like the impact that that has on anything with the nba draft is like just so minimal like i don't even know why i'm bringing it up on this podcast no of course (laughs) and like we're kind of mixing the two things together now like what we've seen early in the season versus you know nba draft prospects but uh they are interchangeable on some level when we're talking about David Johnson, right? And like what David Johnson's role is going to mm-hmm. be. David Johnson continues to make the flashy plays, the flashy reads out of ball screens, you know, the kickouts off of an advantage situation where a guy closes out on him too heavy. Like David Johnson's fine. I'm just worried about the role and what the role looks like in regard to him, like truly breaking out and having the counting numbers that one would expect from, uh, you know, a superstar level player. That you're hoping yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much: if the shooting does come around, then a savvy team is going to get them lower than they probably should. Um, if uh, if if it continues this way, because if if you have any doubts about him in ball screens, like you shouldn't. He's he is awesome. Yeah, have you uh, 
Florida hasn't played yet, but they play this week. We should mention Keontae Johnson just because he was the highest ranked returnee on my board. Uh, Keontae had an incredible close to last season that I think not nearly enough people recognized. Uh, he was legitimately one of the three or four best players in the SEC by the end of the year last year. Like he was affecting wins more than Anthony Edwards was affecting wins for his team. Now, Anthony Edwards has a far drastically higher upside than Keontae Johnson does, but Keontae Johnson was really, really good to close last year. And you look at his uh, conference numbers. I mean, he averaged 14 points, eight rebounds, two assists, and a steal and a half a game while shooting 38 from three and 56 from the field while also playing really, really good defense. Yeah, I mean, he's just a very, very good um I don't want to call him like a role player because I feel like that kind of minimizes what he is, but he really just plays a role and he does it at like an, at an exceptional level. And I think that's why he would be so interesting to NBA teams because like, what is he? Six, five, six, six. Like he's, I don't he's not he's anywhere near six, six. I think if anything, he's yes. like between six, three and six, five. Yeah. So, I, I mean, he, but he, I think he can guard up a little. Like I yeah. think he can guard bigger than what he is. Um, and I think for that sure. that appeal for NBA teams, the ability to, um, you know, kind of rebound above his size, guard above his size, mm-hmm. make threes, be able to defend, be able to work, be fine, kind of being asked to play that role. You know, like he he just goes out there and he does the job. He just does it at an exceptional level. And I think that that has a lot of appeal for for NBA teams, right? Like. I'm trying to think who I could compare. Like, it's hard to make. It's almost kind of like Miles Bridges, what he did when he was at. at yeah. Like they're very different players, but what he did when he was at Michigan State, where um, people kept trying to put him in a role as a star, when that's not what he necessarily does best. He was at his best when he was just kind of told to go out there and defend and make plays and get rebounds and make threes if you're open, shoot threes if you're open. So um, I do think that it's, that it's a little bit of the same thing. Uh, with Keontae Johnson, which is probably why he doesn't get the attention that he deserves, because he's not going to be someone that goes out and takes a game over and and, and scores like thirty on 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 any given night. He just kind of goes out there and does a job, and every time you look up, he's got sixteen, nine, couple assists, couple blocks, uh, made a couple threes, and then you know was involved in every big play that was made in the win. Yeah, and I mean the crazy thing was that like by the end of the year, because I totally agree with you that that's like what he's what he does best, but like by the end of the year, like. He had that game against LSU where he went for 25, 11, and 5. And then he had a game against Arkansas where he went for 24 and 10, right? Uh, against Vanderbilt, he went for 20 and 7. Like, he, by the end of the year, had really, really gotten to the point where he was starting to understand how he could take over games, despite not necessarily being like the be all end all offensive creator, right? Because like they would give Noah Locke chances. They would give Scotty Lewis chances. Obviously, Andrew Nemhard was there last year and he was bringing the ball up the court. And Trey Mann, whenever he was on the court, uh, was bringing the ball up and doing a lot of different things. So he wasn't always the guy that was on the ball, but every time the ball was reversed to him, he'd make the right decision 
and he'd know how to drive. And then off of back cuts, he knew how to find that little area where he could be dangerous despite not initiating the possession. I, I think he is a role player at the NBA level, to be honest. I think he's going to be a really, really good one uh, as long as the defense continues to translate because he's really strong. Uh, he has good length. He can shoot the ball. And he just knows how to play basketball like at an exceedingly high level. His feel is awesome. Yeah, and and guys that can do all of those things and be happy just kind of accepting that role and doing the job that they're asked to do, I just think has you know a, a lot of appeal when you are an NBA organization, right? Not having to deal with egos or people upset about not getting enough shots or maybe outsized expectations of what they are as players. Just having someone that can come in and do their job and do it very, very well, that's, that's, there's value in that. Yeah. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. The next guy for me on my board was probably someone that I'm higher on than anyone else. Uh, Chris Smith at UCLA. So Chris Smith is six foot nine with a seven foot wingspan and is essentially like a three. And 
what I like about him is that a he's really young. Like he won't turn twenty. He's a twenty-year-old senior right now. Won't turn twenty-one until December. My favorite stat is that he's two months younger than Cassius Stanley and yeah. three months younger than Precious Ashua. It's pretty hilarious. And he's isn't a senior, it? senior in college, and those guys were one and dones. So with Chris, he's shooting the ball well to start the year. Against Pepperdine, it felt like he really started to figure out how he could take over games, especially kind of later on in that game. Uh, went for 26 points, 12 rebounds, and six assists in that game. It was a triple overtime game, so those numbers are going to be a little bit inflated. But really was the best player on that court in that game. And that Pepperdine team is really good. They have both Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards, who are excellent, excellent pro-level players that will potentially go play somewhere else. Although I think Kessler has a real chance to play in the NBA if he continues to improve. Everything about Chris Smith to me says he's going to keep getting better and better throughout the course of his career. Uh, He struggled early on in his UCLA career. It seemed like it was kind of an overmatched situation where he was struggling to adjust to everything, but man, if what we saw against Pepperdine is going to be the real Chris Smith this year, I think UCLA is going to be really, really good. I I hope they are. Um, I I spoke with him over the summer, and one of the things that stood out to me was that he said that what Mick Cronin kept trying to like beat into his head and kept trying to get him to understand was kind of how good he actually is and the the consistency of um, knowing that he should be attacking more. And should be more aggressive. And like that was one of the things that he was working on this summer was to try to make sure that he was able to be kind of that like go to guy consistently and not just um, in, in, in moments or not just when they're playing Pepperdine. And, you know, he's got to be that guy, you know, you, San Diego State, he only got what seven shots off, seven shots from the floor. So yeah. um, it's, I want to be in on him. I love him in theory. It's just sometimes when you watch him and he's not able to win certain matchups and he's not able to be aggressive and he's not taking games over that it feels like he probably should be taking over if he is a, a top 30 pick. Um, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit torn. I want to see more. I, I, I totally understand why you are in on him. Um, and I want to be in on him because I'm in on UCLA this year. I think I had them like preseason top 15. So well, and, and plus like you've talked to him, he's an, awesome kid like yes, i've talked very, to him very very nice kid like great kid really really smart like uh the kind of kid you want to believe in too yeah and and so that's why i don't want to like come out here and sound like sound like i'm crushing him but i want i want to see him do the things that that he said he was trying to work on this summer if that makes sense and you know if the if if it keeps going the way it was going after the Pepperdine game, then yes, I'm 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 in. Um, but you know, I watched that uh, that San Diego State game because you know, like we talked about, I bet on that San Diego State team to win that game, yep. partially because I did not think that Chris Smith was going to be able to win the battle with Matt Mitchell. And I do think that if you are going to end up being like a top thirty guy, a first round guy, you probably need to um, win matchups against Matt Mitchell. And I love Matt Mitchell. He's, I was he's say, very, can, can very I, good. Can player. I be honest here? Like, I think Matt Mitchell is like a top sixty five guy like he's I'm good really he's, like he's good he's good but i i just don't think that 
it shouldn't have been as lopsided as it was. Yeah. You know, like Chris Smith needs to go out there and and, and put in, put a put a you know his his stamp on a game. Um, if yeah. I'm going to fully buy into him as a first round pick, regardless of who you're playing against, you know, it, Matt Mitchell is awesome. He's he's uh, a guy that's probably going to be first team All Mountain West. You know, we I, we kind of one of the reasons why. I bet on San Diego State in that game is because we were like, yeah, you know what? Matt Mitchell's probably going to eat up Chris Smith. Yeah. And uh, Matt Mitchell kind of ate up Chris Smith. And if you're going to be a first-round pick, I don't think that you can be getting getting eaten up um, in games like that. That's just that's kind of the point I was trying Does that make sense? I, no. I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth with it. but um, Well, here's the thing. That I was like- one of the best prospect matchups of the early season, right? Like, I have Chris Smith mm-hmm. at 20, 23, 22, something like that. And I have Matt Mitchell at, like, 40 or 45, somewhere in that range. And yeah, I generally agree that Chris Smith needs to do better against someone like Matt Mitchell. But Matt Mitchell specifically is like the kind of player that makes Chris Smith look bad. And in some level, like that's why it was a really good measuring stick for Chris Smith too, right? Like Matt Mitchell is six foot six. He's 235 pounds. He's strong as a bear like he is going to make opposing players lives really hard and on top of it like he's really smart and he moves really well away from the ball and he shoots the ball from three like he can do a lot of different shit that makes it really really difficult to deal with him and i don't know like if, if chris smith gets beaten by matt mitchell like i'm not like oh yeah chris smith is terrible i'm like oh yeah matt mitchell's really good like this is a this is a matchup that someone like chris smith can lose and it's not what you want to see because chris smith you're hoping is an nba player but like I, i'm not i guess i'm not surprised that matt mitchell's the kind of guy that would cause him issues either yeah so i i guess the way the the best way to make for me to phrase it is like Matt Mitchell, Matt Mitchell kind of has this "fuck you, I'm gonna win" yeah. attitude. Like every time he steps on the floor, I like, fucking I love Matt Mitchell, like Chris, man. <laughs> yeah, like, and I don't. I feel like Chris Smith does not have that like "fuck you, I'm gonna win" mentality every single time he steps on the floor, and that's. I mean, to me, that's a little bit of a concern. But yeah. you know, I get it. He's got the physical tools. He can score. He's young. Um, that stuff can be developed to a point. So. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's too early in the season to be drawing any kind of drastic conclusions based off of one matchup. But, I mean, I guess that's what podcasts are for, right? To do just that. That's true. <laughs> uh, I have not seen Michigan State yet. Uh, they're on my list for probably tomorrow, to be honest, because I want to see that Notre Dame game that they played before Michigan State plays Duke this week. I have Aaron Henry pretty high on this thing. And I really like Aaron Henry. I have for a few years. I think the way that he plays out of triple threat is just kind of a perfect fit for the NBA today. Uh, I also think that like Izzo kind of hits him really hard for defense when I think his defense is actually like pretty much fine. Uh, just looking at the stat sheet, you know, didn't play super well against Eastern Michigan and still had seven assists. Uh, looked to have played much better against Notre Dame. Did you see that Notre Dame game? I saw snippets of it. Um, it was on a Saturday night, and uh, for um, reasons that we don't have to get into on this podcast, my Thanksgiving was delayed until Saturday. So I watched. I watched part of it. I was also probably about six double IPAs deep as I was watching it. So I don't know what I actually saw and what I kind of imagined in the hop haze that I was in. Uh, <laughs> but yes, he was. He, the the one thing that did stand out to me though is it looks like he kind of like added a little bit of muscle and got a little bit stronger. And I think that that 
that matters if you are going to be asking him to kind of be like something of a, a, a positionless defender, which I think is kind of like the the value of a, an Aaron Henry. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that he has gotten stronger, but I haven't watched it yet. So it's a, a again, it's one of the ones that's on my list. That Texas Tech, uh, Houston is on my list, and then Baylor, Washington. Those are going to be the three games that I either watch tonight or tomorrow morning. Yeah. So like I said, the reason I like Aaron Henry is he plays really well out of triple threat. He's a really uh, unselfish player, almost to a fault sometimes, where he'll make these passes when realistically he should shoot because he's right at the basket. Um, really good kickout passer, which should translate well to the next level. Uh, a guy that really the swing skill is going to be the jump shot because he's been just a bit too inconsistent as a jump shooter. He shot 39% from three unlimited attempts as a freshman was down to 34% uh, over quite a few more attempts last season. If he becomes a real jump shooter, I think he is a first round pick. Part of me being where I am on him, having him as like a late first, early second guy is thinking that the jump shot is going to come through. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys that you just kind of assume is a worker and, and you know, you never really hear bad things about him coming out of Michigan State. So it's very easy to sit here and say, yes, I can see it coming, especially, you know, when when, when you go from what, what do you shoot, you know, about one three a game as a freshman to, yeah. to two or three a game as a sophomore. When you see that kind of confidence that Tom Izzo has in him to be taking more threes, it kind of leads you to believe that maybe they're seeing something in practice that makes them believe he's a little bit of a better shooter. But, uh, I, I mean, I love – I love the versatility. I love the playmaking. I love guys um, that that are willing defenders. Uh, and not everybody can be a star in the NBA. So when you're looking to kind of grab somebody to to do a job, like those are the kind of players that you look at. Um, first round pick. I mean, he's got to be what like a 38 percent three point shooter yeah. um, in college to be able to make that happen. He needs he needs average 15 I, points, six rebounds, three assists, and be a 38 percent three point shooter. Probably, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like him as a player. He knows how to play. And I think that he he will be in the NBA. Um, I don't know if I would buy him fully as a first round pick at this point, but I mean he's kick and play. He's a good player, man. Uh, the next guy that's worth bringing up here is Corey Kispert, and maybe this is where we talk about Gonzaga, right? I think Corey Kispert is going to be a first round pick, uh, just straight up. Everything that he does is so incredibly polished and just translates to the NBA level at a high level. He can knock down threes at a 44% clip. He's great at attacking closeouts. He's bouncier than he gets credit for. I wouldn't say he's more athletic than people think, but he is bouncier and can finish at the rim. He also has a very polished like relocation pull-up game where he can sidestep for another three-pointer. He can take two dribbles into the mid-range and finish efficiently there. Everything about him just screams another version of Joe Harris to me. And Joe Harris just got paid four years, $75 million. Yeah. Do, do people realize he's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7? Six, Corey Kispert, I feel like yeah, whenever, he's, he is 6'7, yeah. probably 225, 230 pounds. Yeah. I, I feel like people just kind of assume that since he's a white guy that plays at Gonzaga and make threes, makes threes, he's like 6'3. No, he's like 6'7. No, he's Dude, fucking he's, enormous. He's got size. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm, I'm in on him 
as um, an NBA guy. I mean, the the role that he basically plays for Gonzaga right now is as a 3 and D wing, essentially, right? Like, he just make open shots, attack closeouts, finish cuts, score off the occasional, like, pin down or, or we'll run a play for you, um, and then just go out and, and do a job defensively. And he does that at a very, very, very high level. He's, I mean, he's an All-American. I, I would call him one of the top 10 to 15 players in college basketball. And I think he's probably the third best player in Gonzaga, which is why Gonzaga is going to win the national title and go undefeated this season. But that's a different conversation. He's, he, he just, he's everything that you want out of a role player in the NBA. I, I just, I was honestly mildly surprised that he opted to come back this season. Cause I thought he could have gotten paid this year. Yeah. I will. I will agree with that. I will say that if he would have declared for the NBA draft, he would have gone somewhere in the top 40 to 45 picks and would have gotten a guaranteed deal. Uh, he is a more translatable version of what Jordan Wara is. Uh, and Jordan Wara went 45th. So I, I really like Corey Kispert quite a bit. Uh, so far this season, he is 7 for 7 from the line, 10 of 11 from two-point range, and 7 of 16 from three. I think he's going to go 50, 40, 90, like pretty easy this year because <laughs> Dude, he's going to get so many right open now, shots. He's at 90, 44, 100 right now. That's pretty good, right? That's, is, is that good for a shooting clip? I feel like that's pretty good. I feel like that is pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Uh, yeah, he's just a monster, man. Uh, he's so good offensively. He's, he's a little bit slow footed defensively, but he knows where to be. Um, uh, he's going to be a first rounder for me throughout the course of the year. I, I don't really see another way around it. Let's move and just talk about Gonzaga now because I agree with you. I think this team is just a monster. <laughs> like this is, I, I don't think people understand how far and away this is their most talented team ever. It's like, not even cl- like it's not even a conversation. It's not even what close. their most talented team is. And we're talking, we're saying this, what, two years after they had Brandon Clark and Rui Yachimura on the yeah. same team? Yeah. This, like, this is, this team is, the, the amount of talent on this roster is just silly. It, it's, it's hilarious to me that people don't realize that, that, that they had a guy that was a second team All American of Philip Petrushev that averaged 17 and seven that left in large part because he knew that, like, Drew Timmy was better than him. Yeah. Like, Philip Petrushev, by the way, he was the MVP of the first month of the Adriatic League this year, which is a very strong league that, like, Nikola Jokic came directly out of. Yusuf Nurkic came directly out of. Uh, Yeah, he was the October MVP in the (laughs) Adriatic League. Yo, I got to get the fuck out of Gonzaga because Drew Timmy's going to take my spot. Yeah. Drew Timmy's a stud, dude. I love Drew Timmy so much. He's so good. He is. I, I don't know what the role is in the NBA for Drew Timmy. But he can handle the ball. He can really move his feet. Like his feet are exceptional for a guy that's six foot ten, two hundred and forty pounds. He has so much quickness uh, in his post moves that it's just really hard for anyone to stay in front of him. He can like handle the ball, kind of coming up the court. Like they'll occasionally let him like grab and go and take like four dribbles before giving it off to someone like Jalen Suggs. It it doesn't always go well. Like there were a couple times when he dribbled into a, a really bad spot when, when he did that. But I think, again, it says a lot about the confidence that Mark Few has in him, that he is allowed to do that even when he makes dumb decisions. Yeah. I mean, the way that he kicked the shit out of both Auburn's 
and Kansas's front line. Like Auburn has JT Thor, who's like a top 50 freshman. Uh, they have like actual athleticism digging down on him from the wing. And it just didn't matter. Uh, Kansas has David McCormick, who was another like top 50 recruit in his class. And he just kicked the shit out of him. Like he's absolutely, he made, he made Bill self, Bill self and Roy Williams are like the two college coaches that refuse to adapt to the times and always want to have two bigs out there at all times. Drew Timmy, Force Bill Self to play five guards because yeah. David McCormick did not stand a chance. So Bill Self was like, "What? Like if I'm going to have basically Drew Timmy being guarded by a chair in the post, I might as well let that chair be someone that can beat him on offense." It was unbelievable. Like made, shout out, shout out to Chris Stone uh, for calling it uh, Billanova when when Bill Self goes with five <laughs> guards. He turned he turned Kansas into Billanova. Oh my god, Chris Stone that was by good, the way. right? Chris Stone uh, has been texting me uh, images of David McCormick looking like, you know, like you see those gifs sometimes of like crabs skittering along the beach. (laughs) And like a year ago, he sent me David McCormick looks like one of those crabs skittering across the beach whenever he's defending on the perimeter with his lateral slides. (laughs) And I can't see anything else now. Oh, it's so funny that you say it because it makes perfect sense. Oh, that's good. I can't see anything stuff. else other than that. That's now. good stuff. Um, um, all right. So my my one quick take on Drew Timmy is that he has he, he doesn't have the passing of someone like a Nikola Jokic, but it's the fact that he can kind of like make these moves where it doesn't seem like somebody his size should be able to have that kind of nimbleness yeah. and that kind of balance and to be able to move his body the way that he moves. You know, he, he very much has like ballerina feet in a guy that looks like he should be fighting um, bears you know, in Texas. Yeah. That looks like he should basically be uh Chris Mim more <laughs> or less. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch him play. And um, I just, I remember watching him, he played, I think it was with Team Texas. I, I want to say that he was on Tyrese Maxey's AAU team. I mean, he was on one of those like loaded teams coming out of Texas. And I remember seeing him at one of the uh one of the EYL EYBL games, and like all of these coaches were lined up on the sidelines watching whatever there was some I can't remember which five star guard it was, but there was some five star guard that was on his team, and they were like, Yeah, that that's the guy right there, that guard with the ball. I'm like, yeah, but who's this big white guy that's that's throwing all these passes and it's making all these no look uh plays and spinning around people and going coast to coast? Like that's the dude right there. So uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a Drew Timmy truther, I think I can say. The the other thing that I love about Drew Timmy is that every time he makes a good play all of the the pictures and images and gifs showing up on Twitter of the the South Park character going Timmy. Yeah, it's the best. I love it's- that's yeah, it's the best. What a great player. All right, let, let's talk Jalen Suggs because I'm I'm all in on Jalen Suggs. I bet on him to win the Wooden Award. He I tell, I wrote tell a, the people the number you got on Jalen Suggs by the way because it's hilarious. The plus ten thousand. I bet $10 to win $1,000 on Jalen Suggs winning the Wooden Award. And if he ends up being the best player on Gonzaga, which may not happen because, you know, Drew Timmy and and Corey Kispar are both averaging like 20-something points right now. But Jalen Suggs is the best player on Gonzaga. He is their most valuable player. He's the guy that that makes that team go. They've never had – they so – 
Yeah, you, you trust Here's, the voting block for these awards way more than I do because my response. I do not I, trust them at all, but it's worth <laughs> ten dollars to win a thousand. It's it's worth those odds. No, I totally agree with you that it's worth the odds. But my response to you was like, do you really think that they're not going to give it to the white guy from Gonzaga and they're going to get <laughs> Jalen Suggs? Like <laughs> they they are they are they, you're you're right. They probably that's the are. problem um, here. Like <laughs> we're we're relying on a very imperfect body who is often swayed by narrative as opposed to holy shit that guy's fucking unbelievable basketball and jalen sucks yeah he's he's so good like against kansas there were two plays that really stood out to me more than anything else in in the game against kansas there was one in the second half where he comes off of a ball screen going to his right and kind of has like a little hang dribble hesitation about 25 feet away from the basket and waits and kind of gets everybody off balance and then one dribble explodes gets past uh, Jalen Wilson gets past Christian Brown, gets past David McCormick, gets past whoever was digging in from the corner. I think it was Zegbaji. Goes through four Kansas players, one dribble, layup at the rim, off of a standstill. Yeah. Like, like people are not supposed to be that explosive. Um, and the the other one that really stood out was uh, Kansas iced a ball screen, and he takes a dribble to his left and throws this like no look dime that goes directly over Drew Timmy's head and hits. Uh, he throws it. Um, and hits Joel Ayayi in the corner for a wide open three. But when he throws the pass, like Joel Ayayi isn't even looking. Like he, yeah. he, he passed someone open before the dude realized he was open. It's almost like he was a quarterback when he was in high school that could have played in the Big Ten. No. Almost. No. Almost. No. Yeah. No. Stop it. We're. I am I'm hereby banning all references to Jalen Suggs was a quarterback because I made that I made this point on the podcast with Penny. I was like, look, the thing that you're going to get annoyed to hear more than anything else in college basketball this season is that Jalen Suggs was a quarterback. Because it's going to happen every single time that they play. I am it hereby oh, it's gonna it's gonna drive us crazy. Insta banning. <laughs> insta banning it from this it like fuck, they did it for Brad Davison. Let alone Jalen Suggs, who won Mr. Football in Minnesota. They're going to beat us over the fucking head with that stat all year. But he was a quarterback, and you can see it in the vision <laughs> and the passes that he made. But but in all in all seriousness, in all seriousness, guys that are that explosive, that can make the passes he can make, that can shoot it the way that he can shoot it, that are as tough as he is. Like yeah. he, he's not small either. You know, no, like he's, 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 he's like six five. Yeah. They, they draw up lobs for him to catch. Like, Gonzaga's never had a dude like him. Okay. And that's why I think that they're going to win the national title this year is because they've had Corey Kispert's before. They've had Andrew Nemhards before. They've had guys like Joel Yayi. They've had guys like Drew Timmy. They like, they've had Timmy those everywhere. guys before. <laughs> yes. They've never had someone as good as Jalen Suggs at that position. And in an offense where all Mark Few wants to do is push and transition – and then get into ball screens. Yep. That they're like he's going to be awesome. Like that is he is the prototype of a point guard that you want if what you want to do is push and transition and run ball screens. Yep. They're I mean they're 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 absolutely they're without a doubt, in my mind, right now, the best team in college basketball, and I don't really think it's all that close. Yeah, I told uh, – I was on the Real GM Radio podcast with Danny LaRue like three hours ago, and I said that if they get past Baylor next week, they're going. I think they're going to run the table because they're just a monster. And he was like, wow, holy shit. And I was just like, no, it's like not even close how good they are. It's like not even it's, – it's – they're so much better than they've ever been this year. Uh, they beat that Kansas team 
Like it says that they won that game by twelve. That was not a twelve point game. That was a fucking beating in the second half. That was an absolute beating. Like those last ten minutes that they played against Kansas were just lights out in such an unbelievable way. Um and then they just absolutely murdered Auburn. And I don't think Auburn's terrible. Like, look, Auburn isn't uh doesn't have Sharif Cooper right now, which is a problem, but like and I don't know if they're gonna get Sharif Cooper either, it seems like. But Man, that's an athletic team, and there was no slowing this Gonzaga team down at all. Um, yeah. My my hottest take is that Kansas is still like really good, and all that happened was they ran into a, a Gonzaga team that is just a, an absolute buzzsaw. Um, yeah. I, I think Kansas is, is a little bit better offensively than what I think people realize, Yeah, um, especially when they go – like if they're going with this this five-guard look and if Christian Brown is actually as good as he's he's kind of looked. like We had Bill Self on one of the uh, the Field of 68 podcasts, and he was like, Christian Brown is the guy that you need to keep an eye on. He's going to be our breakout player this year. And he was – I mean, he was fine against uh, Gonzaga, but he was awesome against St. Joe's. And I think he had like 25. So um, can, can I just be honest? I don't trust anything Bill Self plays anymore, or anything Bill Self says anymore, uh, because he said that (laughs) David McCormick, for us to be good, David McCormick has to be our leading scorer. I mean, if David McCormick was Yudoka Azabuki, they'd be really, really good. So I, I refuse to. Wrong. But, but like, I refuse to believe wrong. that Bill actually believes that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you might, you might be right. You might be right. Like, there's no way that he believes that at this point, right? And that—that's no disrespect to David McCormick, and I don't mean a ton of disrespect to Bill Self, although, like, inherently, what I'm saying is a bit <laughs> disrespectful. Like, oh, he's a coach, man. Coach, yeah, that's like, what coach is supposed to say. I think he's yeah, just every single coach in the country him. says our. Yeah, like our best player is a guy that was sitting out, right? Oh, you should have seen this dude in practice when he was sitting. Oh, he was on the practice team. He was killing him. Yeah. He's the best player you've ever seen. Oh, Sam Hauser, so talented. He's going to average 25 a game this year. Can, can we talk about uh, uh, Josh Coonan at USF just like totally taking Sam Hauser out of that game against USF that they lost? I, I don't. For starters, one. Virginia is running. Have you have you researched this offense? Yeah, that Virginia I know is running about this it. Year? It was funny. It, it, one of our coaching friends, uh, like one of our mutual friends, sent me this probably a year ago and asked me, "What do you think of this?" Like, I just love. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I was like, I totally get why it works at the D three level, but I don't think it will work at a high level with real athletes because there are just too many guys who can like actually rotate into space and recover out onto shooters. So I'm sorry, we should probably explain what it is. So continue. So, so the, normally what Virginia runs is they forever have been famous for running the, the mover blocker, which was yeah. created by Dick Bennett, which is Tony Bennett's father, which is basically just like pin down, reverse the ball, pin down, flare screen, pin down. Flare, just, it's just a like, imagine a circle with two guys running off of uh, screens that are being set uh, by the the blockers, um, so it's it's a very very basic offense that uh, Virginia just ran to absolute perfection with guys like Joe Harris and Malcolm Brogdon that were elite at running off of ball screens or running off of pin downs. Um, when they had after they lost to uh, UMBC, they completely changed things up and they started running a ball screen continuity because they had Ty Jerome, who was an NBA point guard, and they just put him in ball screen after ball screen, and they allowed Kyle Guy to space the floor, and um, they really bought into this idea of 
playing four or five perimeter players. I mean, if you watch the Texas Tech national title game and watch them down the stretch, they had DeAndre Hunter at the five and Braxton Key at the four. They like fully bought into the idea of small ball. Um, and so they changed their offense and it won them a national title. Last year, they were as bad as they'd ever been offensively. And so Tony Bennett this offseason installed a new offense called, I think it's called five out read and react, which the idea is basically like you don't run any set plays. Um, it's completely and utterly positionless. And all you do, um, is kind of like imagine it's a circle and everybody rotates in. If you have one guy drive left, everybody cuts left. Everyone one guy drives right, everybody cuts right. And there's different reads that you can make off of uh, different things that the ball handlers do. But the idea is you never cross. You never set ball screens. You never set picks. You never run a play. You never do anything like that. It's just allowing guys to go one-on-one. And I don't know how it will work when, one, you don't have a ton of great playmakers um that, that like virginia does and two you're going up against teams that are going to have very very good one-on-one defenders so we'll see how it pans out but like basically everything that they did the the whole the whole offense is kind of getting people into the playmaker spot which is about 15 feet away from the basket and letting them kind of go from the mid post. And I just don't understand how that's the most efficient form of offense when you have guys like Kihei Clark making plays out of the mid post or Sam Hauser making plays out of the mid post when you would theoretically wanting Sam Hauser either shooting three. So I don't know. We'll see how it ends up working out. I, I just, I was not a, a big fan. Um, and I don't think that it necessarily, when you lose to as the number four team in the country, lose to San Francisco, um, it's not necessarily the best sign for that offense working. No, I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. To see how that goes. Cause I, I, like I kind of said at the start here, I don't really love it. Um, I, I don't love the concept of it even at the college level, uh, at the division one level. I'm sorry, because it works at the college level, just at lower levels. Um, getting back to NBA prospects, the two guards that have gotten a lot of publicity coming into the year have been Iota Sunmu and Jared Butler. I think both of them, uh, have really stood out as high-level creators for their teams thus far. Baylor just absolutely obliterated Washington today. And Jared Butler was a monster. Uh, had 20 points, went 8 of, I think, like 12 from the field, had 5 assists. Like, he, he was a beast. And then I didn't watch the Louisiana game. Uh, he had 17 in that game with 4 assists. And uh, from what I gather, was pretty good. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know what happened in that game. Louisiana, by the way, not a terrible team. Um, Washington, certainly not uh, as good as they were, as talented as they were last year. But a high major team that... Baylor just obliterated by 34. Uh, Jared Butler or Io DeSunmu, who would you uh, take out of those two? I I think I would take Io, um, mostly because I buy a little bit more of the ability for Io to turn himself into a shooter than I do Jared Butler to turn himself into a guy that is going to be able to be a plus defender. Yeah. Um, at the NBA level. So I, I think I would just rather bet on Io figuring the shooting part out. Cause like I, that, that dude is a worker, man. Like when, yep. when I, I spoke to him in September 
And what he told me was that, like, when everything shut down because of the coronavirus, like, he still had access to gyms. He never missed a single day finding a place to work out, whether it meant he had to go and, like, shoot on some outdoor court in Chicago. He he always had access to somewhere to get shots up to work out. So um, I'm I'm kind of buying that kid's work ethic to be able to figure out the shooting. Uh, Well, and and I'll tell you this, too, on IO. Like, most of the time... I know what's going on with guys like declaring or returning for the draft before they announce, right? Uh, and it's just part of, you know, being in the industry that we work in. Like, for the most part, I would imagine you kind of have a feeling on it too, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's normally not all that difficult to get a sense for what these guys are going to end up doing and the yeah. decision they're going to end up making. Just by asking around, by finding the right people with IO. Look, I reached out to a lot of people and that family like that, those everyone involved, they kept that as tight and locked down as possible. Like, I don't even know that Illinois staff necessarily knew that they were getting him back whenever they they did not. They did not. Brad Underwood found out the night that he announced it. Yep. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it's a testament to how tight-knit the family is. Because from what I gather, like, the, you know, Io and his dad, like, kind of ran the process a little bit. Which, you know, doesn't always happen in such, like, a tight-knit, uh, familial way in terms of the way these processes work out. So, there's that. There's the fact that he's universally regarded as just, like, an elite-level character kid. There's the fact that he's universally regarded as an elite-level worker. I'm with you. I kind of just buy it with him. Like, I really do. I just kind of buy it that he is going to be an absolute stud this year and going to turn himself into a first-round pick this year. Yeah, and that's not to say that I'm, like, I don't like Jared Butler as a prospect. Like, I totally get it in terms of his ability to kind of create for himself and and the fact that he is a shooter. Um, And I do think that some of the knocks on him defensively maybe get a little bit overblown just because he's never able to actually guard an opponent's um, best best player, uh, yeah. best player. And like, especially last year when they just relied on him so much down the stretch to be able to create offense. Like part of it was just, you know, if you're playing 36 minutes a game and you're going like when, when it's going to basically come down to uh, Jared Butler creating a shot for himself or Baylor getting an offensive rebound, like that's kind of what their offense was uh, by the, by the end of last season. Uh, I do think that it makes sense for him to kind of save his legs. Um, But I mean, look, when you can, when you can kind of create and score the way that Jared Butler can, um, in isolations and in ball screens and, and, and with the ball in his hands, like there's a role for you in the NBA coming off the bench somewhere is kind of a microwave guy. So um, I, I, I like Jared Butler. I just happen to uh, bet on the physical tools of Io DeSumo a little bit more. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And Io's looked really good so far. I watched the Ohio game and he was excellent in that game. He got overshadowed a little bit by Jason Preston uh, because Jason Preston was just the best player in that game in my opinion full stop uh on that day at least but you know io goes i want to say like 10 for 20 he had god had to be six seven eight assists didn't turn it over a ton he just seemed really comfortable and in command of what illinois was doing offensively uh you know last year he shared the point guard duties often with Trent Frazier and then late in games took over. Uh, this year, it's 
largely him. Like he's the guy that's running the show so far for them. Mm-hmm. And so. he's he's really really good at it. He's really good in transition. Yep. Um, I think he's bigger than people realize. Yep. Uh, like he he's he's six five. He's got big hands. Um, real good athlete. I think he put on some weight this summer too. Like he looks a lot like physically stronger. Um, and more and more kind of well built yeah. and put together. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth, Illinois is listing him at two hundred pounds now. Last year he was listed at one eighty five. Mm. So oh, there you go. Um, that you're dead on on that. He's he's just he's just a great college player. He, he like, but can we talk about Jason Preston though? Because that was just such an unbelievable performance. The kid has such an unbelievable backstory, and I love love love. When coaches like find something that works and then just relentlessly Attack go to it. it over and over and over again. Well, let, let's and like shout out to Jeff Bowles, man, because so Jason Preston, tell, tell the backstory because it's, it's no, just you tell the backstory because I think you probably know it better than I do. So when when uh, when when Jason Preston was a senior in high school, he was like six foot, one hundred and forty pounds. Uh, played on some like terrible high school team in Orlando. Um, and averaged, I think it was two points a game as a senior. And, like, he just wasn't anything. And uh, eventually, like, he kind of grew a little bit. And, and he was planning to go to UCF as like and just be a regular old college kid, right? And he eventually got a call from someone. who was like, hey, you know, you should go to this prep school and just kind of try it out. And the prep school that he went to had, uh, had like, the A team, which was, like, the prep school team, which is what you kind of consider, like, a prep school team. They had a B team and they had a C team. And he started on the C team. And he ended up kind of, like, playing his way up. And he got some minutes on the A team. Uh, but he got bumped back down. And then, at like, a C team game, he had a triple-double. And he posted the videos of that, that game onto Twitter. And he got offers to Ohio and... I can't remember what the other school was. It was somewhere else, some other small Division One program. Part of me is like, thinking Stetson off the top of my head. It was like St- like that or Winthrop, like some other small, like not a low major, but some some small Division One in the South. And just off of posting like the, that triple double highlight video onto onto Twitter, and so he gets into uh, into Ohio and he grows a little bit more, and they put a little bit of weight on him, and he's probably what like. Six four, six five now, like maybe one eighty five, and just an absolute monster in ball screens. Like the way that he can operate a ball screen is not something that you can really teach. It's just like the feel that he has with a guy to get a guy on his back and how to make a play, and the touch that he has around the basket, and the ability that he has to read a defender, um, what the uh, what the big guy is doing, and find open people, and and to be able to create baskets out of it, despite the fact that he's like probably a like division two athlete when it comes to just like his pure athleticism I, I'm not convinced that he could dunk I need to see him dunk he can definitely he dunk, can, dunk. Can, can I be honest with you I kind of think that he's a better athlete than what he's able to show because like there are times where you see him like really burst like he has burst with his first step whenever he has the ball under control and it's just going in a straight line I kind of think that he needs to improve the ball handler a little bit in order to get the most out of his athleticism. Like, I actually think that once he tightens up his handle, we're going to see a little bit more from him athletically than what we've seen so far. 
Well, I'll tell you what, man. He ain't a secret anymore, so he's not going to be sneaking up on anybody. Um, he's definitely going to be someone that, like, I'll I'll watch Ohio games now just to go see what Jason Preston is doing. He was he was so much fun to watch, and literally all Jeff Bowles did was he he figured out who um, uh, uh, Co- uh, Kofi Coburn. I, I, how do I how do, how do I forget the name Coburn? Like that's I should never ever forget a name Coburn. Um, figured out who he was guarding. And use that guy to set the screen for Jason Preston and just did that over and over and over again on literally every single possession yeah, that Preston was on the floor. Not enough college coaches do that with guys like Kofi Coburn. Like, for whatever reason, they're just so – they have to set the screen with the five-man. And it allows opposing coaches to just cross-match the five-man onto the four-man, especially if the four-man can't shoot because not all college fours can shoot. And kind of get out of jail when it comes to putting the big in a ball screen. If you have a big like Kofi Coburn, I implore all college coaches to just fucking attack him every time. Like, go at him the way that NBA coaches go at these spacing or these uh, these lateral quickness deficiency guys in the NBA. Because look at what happens with Ohio, where honestly, they probably should have won that game against Illinois. I thought that they outplayed Illinois. It's just that Iowa soon moves a fucking stud, right? And ended up winning the game for them. But, man, I would love to see more teams do what Jeff Bowles did in that game. Jeff Bowles is a good one at Ohio. He's a very, very good coach. Yeah, it, that that's one of the frustrating things about watching some of the the college basketball stuff is it seems like a lot of guys get stuck on this idea like we got to run our stuff and we got to um we got to we got to do what we do you toss the ball we, into the we, post we run you our stuff get our post touches yeah you know you got to you got to settle the offense you got to get the ball in the post like you're never going to be able to to run offense if you don't get that post touch to kind of settle everybody down and you got to have the pressure release and blah 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 and when really what it comes down to is uh you know they they solved basketball at the NBA level and all you do is you find the mismatch. You 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 create the mismatch that you want and you attack it. And that's kind of what Jeff Bowles did. And you know, I'm not saying that Jeff Bowles is going to be the next uh I don't know, Eric Spolstra, but he did a very very good job and he should he really should have a win at Illinois on his resume right now. Yeah, he should. Um All right, let's see here. Uh maybe we should talk about Villanova too. <clears throat> um By the way, last note on Jalen Suggs. And I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I texted our group thread that I thought that that game against Kansas from Jalen Suggs, his first game in college basketball, was better than anything Anthony Edwards showed at the college level last year. And you brought up the idea of the Michigan State game uh, where Anthony Edwards went for like 30 in the second half. I kind of think that Jalen Suggs' game was better better than that game from Anthony Edwards because he did it within the flow of the offense. He took over late in a tight game. He made every single correct passing read. Uh, He just did it in a way that was really translatable. And look, on some level, you can say that Anthony Edwards was so undeniable in that Michigan State game where when he's hot like that, it's translatable to any level. But What Jalen Suggs did was much more repeatable in terms of translation because you're not going to be hot every single game like Anthony Edwards was hot in that Michigan State game. I kind of just thought that Jalen Suggs, the way that he 
operated their offense in such a smooth way, got everyone the touches they needed. That was way more impressive to me than Anthony Edwards going for 30 in a game where they're already down 25 and a half. So I've, I've thought a lot about this since you said it, and, and the you saying that actually drove me to go rewatch that game and rewatch the second half and watch every single possession that Jalen Suggs um, had a couple of times. And, and this is kind of where I land on it. I think that what Jalen Suggs did and the way he did it is why he is a better prospect than Anthony Edwards is because everything he did in that game is who he is as a player and something that you can kind of expect from him. Yeah. You can't expect 33 points and a half from Anthony Edwards, but you know that he can do it. And when he does it, it's just unbelievable to watch because human beings aren't supposed to be able to do what he did in that half of basketball against the team that he was playing. With Jalen Suggs, like the reason why he is as good as he is and why I'm so high on him is because what he did in that game is is something that you can expect from him and is repeatable and is is just the way that he plays basketball, right? So I, the part of the reason I think what Anthony Edwards did is more impressive is just like you can't you can't expect it, you can't repeat that. It just it it happens like once a season at best. Um, but if we're talking about like which guy we like more as a prospect, like it's not even close because what we got from Jalen Suggs against Kansas is who he is. Like that's what he does. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's actually a really reasonable way to put it. Let's talk about Villanova real quick. Um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl had kind of an up and down weekend. I thought uh, they played three games against three, like pretty good opponents too. So we got a really good taste of where Jeremiah Robinson Earl is as a prospect. He went for 18 and 10 against Boston college, went for 28 and eight against Arizona state. Uh, and then against Virginia tech, he was not nearly as good. Uh, I think he went for like 14 and nine, but uh, was much less efficient overall from the field. The thing that worries me about Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and I don't know why announcers continue to say that he's good at defending in space. Uh, he's not very good at defending in space. Like Boston College, their whole strategy in that game was to get Jay Heath or Makai Ashton Langford or Winston Tabs switched on to one of Villanova's bigs, be it Jeremiah Robinson Earl or uh, like Cole Swider or even Jermaine Samuels at times. And Jermaine Samuels is not necessarily a bad defender and let them attack going forward to the basket or to let Makai Ashton Langford take advantage of Colin Gillespie uh, as a defender away from the basket and create separation to get a shot. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was bad in that game defensively. Like I know that, you know, he had a couple of later possessions where he slid and kind of stayed in front of a guy, but like he was terrible at the start of that game defensively. Like, am I, am I taking crazy pills? Cause I felt like I was taking crazy pills watching that Boston college game as they continue to say how good of a defender Jeremiah Robinson Earl is. It, I, I mean, I heard that and I literally put that in the group thread. Um, when, when, when they were kept saying that, uh, my take was that. He had moments that make you say, okay, when he does that, he's really good. Like there were times where he was able to move his feet and there were times where he was able to play on the perimeter, but it wasn't every single possession. And I think that 
when you have spent like when you call these games and and you you go to these practices and you talk to these coaches and you listen to what they have to say um i think when you hear him say yeah you know jeremiah robinson earl he's really improved he's much better at guarding on the perimeter and then you see it happen in a possession or two in the moment it's very easy to fall into uh this is what they told us this is what yeah. i'm going to say on the broadcast and that was an example of it um so i think that that's part of what it was um and I do think that there are flashes uh, like where he's able to do it. And there's sure. also times when he's really, really not good at it. So um, I don't know. It was it was weird that they kept harping on it, though. And it, it felt like that was a talking point. Like that must have been something that like a liner note that they had going into the game. Because it was like they mentioned it every game that they played. Every single game was like, yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl could really guard the perimeter. And it's like, well, he's fine. But I feel like it's not something that you should be beating home the way that you're beating at home right now. Yeah. And like. He's a good player who knows where he needs to be. Like he's not out of position regularly. Uh, he rotates to contest at the rim. Like he's not a like bad, overtly bad defender. He's just not very good away from the basket. And you know, Virginia Tech, you know, kind of took advantage of that a little bit. So in Boston College, certainly tried to take advantage of that a little bit. So I'm just a little bit. I'm a little bit hesitant on what we've seen from Jeremiah Robinson Earl so far, despite the fact that he's averaging what he's got to be averaging 20 points and 10 rebounds a night. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been for the most part, really good offensively. Um, yeah, I, and I, I should say that as me. well. I'm sorry. Like he's been very, very good so far this season. And, and I struggle a little bit to take too much away from anything that is happening in those situations this early in the season, just because like, I know that that for, that Villanova is down a couple of practices, and I know that um, Colin Gillespie like had an offseason injury that forced him to miss like six weeks. And I don't think that these guys are at the point that they need to be. And asking them to like Jay Wright agreed to that Virginia Tech game at one o'clock in the morning on what would have been like Thanksgiving night, right? And so then you have basically 40 hours, 48 hours to prepare for Virginia Tech. Like, look, Virginia Tech may not have great players, but the offense that Mike Young runs is not easy to guard. Like, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of ball screens. There's a lot of creative actions on both sides of the floor. And um, when he has guys, when Mike Young has guys that know how to operate in that stuff, like, it's not a surprise to me that you saw him pick off Michigan State and pick off Villanova in these kind of like tournament-ish. I know this wasn't a tournament, but like these these tournament-ish settings where you don't have tons of time to watch the tape and drill your guys on what they're going to be running. So um, I, it's hard for me to buy too much into anything from Villanova here. Uh, but I mean, what you're saying is not wrong based off of what we watched in those situations. I want to see more from Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but I, I feel like it was not the, let's put it like this. I'm not as high on him as a pro prospect as you would think after a guy went out and averaged like 20 and 10 or whatever it was in those first three games against high major opponents. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I haven't seen any LSU yet, so I haven't seen Trendon Watford uh, play much. I haven't either. It's Well, I don't even know if I want to go back and watch that St. Louis game. I'm 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 a little upset that LSU didn't go to the uh, what 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 was that event called in Nebraska the uh, the Golden Window Classic or whatever it was 
I'm a little upset they didn't go so we couldn't see him go 0-3. I, I was told that's why LSU – I don't know if people know or care about this stuff on a NBA Draft podcast, but I was told that the reason they backed out on the event they were supposed to go to and went to go play at a, a different event at St. Louis was because they were worried about going 0-3 against like San Francisco and pulling a Virginia. So I thought that that was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean – you have Javante Smart, Trendon Watford, Darius Days, and Cameron Thomas. Like, if you're worried about going 0-3 in an event when you have that kind of talent, that says a lot about where you're at as a coach, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. uh, Darius Days is really good as a college player. I think he's kind of a sneaky pro prospect. I think Trendon Watford is a real pro prospect, especially averaging uh, – I think he's averaging something like 18 points and seven assists so far this year. Like he's been really good so far. Again, I haven't watched him, but like, you know, six foot nine, seven foot three wingspan was pretty good last year as well. Obviously is the five-star pedigree. Like, come on guys, you have enough talent to be better than you are. And you have enough talent to be ducking people. I will say that. So there, there are two guys on your – I'm looking at your mock draft right now, and there are two guys that I think you have too low, and I just want to kind of pick your brain on them Ooh, and, yeah. and find out why you have them as low as you do. One, uh, Amir Sims from Clemson, you have him 54th. Sure. And I feel like he is a guy that you should love in terms of – I do. The size that he has, his passing, his shooting. He's like – he's just a really fun – Really good player, and I'm kind of confused why you have him late second round. And I've been tweeting all summer about the fact that Amir Sims is like the most underrated player in college basketball. I feel like I'm probably the only person that has Amir Sims ranked right now for an NBA. I'm sure draft. you would, but I'm, I'm sure you would. And like I've seen those tweets, which is why I'm a little surprised why you had like I was sure. expecting him to be kind of in like late 30s, early 40s range. Sure. So the two things with Amir Sims, I'm a little bit worried about the lateral quickness defensively. And I'm a little bit worried about the jump shot. I know he shot 40% from three last year, but if you look at his previous numbers, it's more in the 33% range over the bigger sample. Right. Um, if he's a 40% shooter, he's like a late first round pick potentially this year. If he's a 33% shooter, which I'll be honest with you, I think is probably a little bit closer to his true talent level. I think he's probably more where I have him now. Uh, Really smart, intuitive defender, uh, makes really good rotational reads around the basket, can get his hands into passing lanes. Also, just an incredibly fun passer. Very, very creative passer for a guy that's six foot eight, 240 pounds, and just has a ridiculous frame. I'm just a little bit worried about the lateral quickness and the jump shooting. Uh, if he proves that, those that's things, that's kind of this what I year, figured it would be. I'm there. That, that's kind of what I figured your answer was going to be, that he's he seems like he's a little bit more – for a guy his size, what is he, 6'8", 240, somewhere around there? Yeah. For a guy his size, it feels like you would want him to be more of a 3-slash-4, uh, where it feels like Amir Sims is kind of like a 4, and he may have the skill set of an NBA 5 in what the modern right. NBA kind of is. So, like that – yeah, that's kind of what I, I figured you would say. The other guy – is Eve's Ponds. And I, I think I may just be lead, like, I think I'm the guy that's, that's leading the, the Eve Ponds bandwagon because of how good he is defensively. And the fact that I kind of buy the, the shot, um, for the most part. 
and you have him 47. I feel like – I don't know if I would use a first-round pick on him, but I would want to be – like if I was advising an NBA um, organization, I would tell them, like, you want to be the team drafting him in the 30s. Like you want to get him into your organization somehow, some way. Yeah, I think I'm a – I totally buy it with the defense. I think he's incredible defensively. Uh, if I remember correctly, he did win SEC Defensive Player of the Year last year, and – I think he was like the rightful pick for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And all too often, those conferences get those awards wrong. He was very clearly the guy, in my opinion, last year. Um, yeah, he shot 35 from three. I want to see a little bit more. And I want to see what he can do as a passer, distributor, decision maker, having to make quick reads. Uh Basically, I worry what happens when you take away his first read because NBA teams are really fucking good at stopping you from doing what you want to do. You have to be able to adjust and do something off of that. And that's what allows you to get to the point where you're able to do what you want to do, which in Eve's case offensively is either shoot or cut. NBA defenders are good enough to stop both of those things. You need to be able to make passes off of that. You need to be able to make shots off of that. I haven't seen him really diagnose the game in a way that would allow him to be effective offensively. But defensively, like I'm 100% there. Like It's why I have him ranked right now. That's why I had him as a top 65 guy. Uh, If he would have decided to continue on with the 2020 draft, uh, he is a freak show defensively. He, he's he's so athletic. Like the when people say, "Yeah, you know, this guy can guard one through five, Normally, that's just something you say. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a complete exaggeration. Um, there it's there just are two guys kind this of, year that can do it, and he's one of them. Who, hold on, let me try to guess what the other one is. Is he is he someone that you have getting drafted? Yes, got to be someone that you have getting drafted. Is this someone in college? It is someone in college, yeah. Come on, Rob. Is it Scotty Barnes? It is Scotty Barnes. There you go. Scotty Barnes can actually look. guard I, one through five as well. Yeah, I had to make sure that I wasn't missing somebody. But yes, it's it's. I, I love Scotty Barnes. So do I. By the way, I can't wait until we can watch Florida State play. I, I want to. I think what I'm going to do for the rest of this NBA draft uh, season. Um, is going to be having Scotty Barnes and Jalen Suggs higher than everybody else. That's going to be my, my my new bandwagon. Is all aboard the Scotty Barnes bandwagon? All aboard the uh, the Jalen Suggs bandwagon? Yeah, I, I love, love both of guys. them. They're both great. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone. Is there anyone else you want to talk about that is not listed on my top sixty? That is not listed. Um, I'm tr- let's let's think about this. I have two uh, West Virginia have- guys listed, and I should mention that I think I'm too high on Oscar Shubway and too low potentially on Miles McBride. Well, I do uh, I do a podcast every week with Deshaun Butler from uh, former West Virginia All American, yeah. and he loves Deuce McBride. He's stud. all all in on Deuce McBride. Um, Shibway, I big Sheeb, I I I get it. Um, I think there's value in a guy that can rebound the way that he does and kind of like depend, defend the paint the way that he does. But he's just such a, you know, West Virginia's entire offense is built around the idea that they're going to miss a shot and let that guy go get a rebound. You know, it's very hard for me to buy into the idea that like he's going to be anything more than that. And I, it feels like 
You know, do they even go after offensive rebounds in the NBA anymore? Like, is that a thing? Yeah, they'll send one guy maybe. So he could be that one guy that they send. But for the most part, it's not nearly as valuable at that level as it is in the NBA or as it is in college. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going to. He'll, he'll play in the NBA just because guys that are as big as he is, that can rebound the way that he does, that can defend the paint the way that he does, like get a contract somewhere, right? Like he'll be on a two-way or he'll be at the end of a bench somewhere. You know, you look up at five years and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He played at West Virginia, didn't he? Um, so, like, but I just don't know if I would uh, – if I want to be the team that is investing draft capital in that player. You know, does that make sense? No, I'm with that. I actually don't know that I would either. After having watched that game against Western Kentucky, he was Charles Bassey. Where's Where's Charles Bassey on your list? That's a good one. Yeah, I was very unimpressed against West Virginia. Um, I, I don't really like. I've had multiple people reach out to me about that, and I, I don't really get it. I'll like just to be real with it. Like I, I do not get what people are seeing there that makes them think he's like a potential like first round pick uh let alone like a draftable guy uh he doesn't really have any lift uh vertically anymore he and like didn't really have it before the knee injury and now it's like glaringly bad uh not really shooting the ball well although i think he has a chance to shoot it at some point I mean, doesn't really defend well away from the basket. Like, just kind of one of those guys that it feels like the NBA has passed him by a little bit uh, in, in terms of the way he plays. Like, he doesn't create downhill pressure on the rim. He did have, like, a really nice slipped screen where he showcased a little bit of speed, uh, beating, I want to say it was Jarrett Culver, uh, to the basket for, like, a nice little lay-in against West Virginia. But You mean, you mean Derek Culver? Did I say Jared? I don't think he... I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, I do that all the time, man. Like, you can't have two Culvers with names that are that similar. Yeah, I know. There should be a law against it. But yeah, no, like I, I don't really get it with Bassey, I guess, for the NBA level, at least. There, there's also other things involved with that that I, I don't feel comfortable saying publicly on a podcast that we can talk about afterwards. But yeah. there's... Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, um, who He else, did put who your boy you Musa Cisse in a body bag, though. He did, yeah, and I think I'm too high on Musa Cisse too to have him at 28. I wanted, I wanted to be all the way in on him, and after watching Memphis play three games, it, he's just he's a long way away from really from two things. I think one from really understanding how to play defense and yeah. like making the right reads and being in the right spot, and the other part of it is like he's great around the rim and blocking shots, but he has like. He has no lower body strength that he can get back down, and he also can't really move laterally. So, like, if you have a guy that can block shots yeah. but is not defending in the post and is not switchable and you can't really use him in ball screens, like, there's there's very limited value um, in that. So, I, I mean, the kid's got potential. You know, that, that, those are the kind of things that if you get them in an NBA strength and conditioning program, you can maybe develop it a little bit. And when you're a guy like Musa Cisse and you are entering college a year early, yeah. I'm sure he has not been coached on anything more than like, hey, stand in front of the rim and block shots. So it's not surprising to me that he doesn't understand ball screen reads and is kind of out of position in, in, in certain uh, situations. Um, but I was – his lack of mobility and his lack of lower body strength are two things that were very concerning to me. Yeah, I will probably just like pull him off of my board uh, going forward. 
Because like I, I just don't think he's a twenty twenty or a twenty twenty one guy anymore. Um. Okay. Is there any other prospect you want to talk about? Because I want to close on two teams. Um. No. Let's go. Let's close it up. Okay. So Kentucky and Duke. Let's start with Kentucky because I think Kentucky is still very, very good. And I am in no way, shape, or form concerned in the slightest by the fact that this team lost to Richmond by 12 points. Uh, where are you on Kentucky? They. And by the way, like when I say that, I mean I still think Kentucky by the end of the year is a top five team. I am more concerned about the point guard situation than I was entering the year, and I was pretty concerned about the point guard situation entering the year. The rest of the stuff, I think, will figure itself out. Um, I mean, BJ Boston uh, is like he's such a talented scorer. Like he's got to he's got to learn like when is the right time to kind of like pull out some of the tricks and when is the right time to attack. But I, I do think that that will come uh, with time and experience. Terrence Clark, you can see the potential. Isaiah Jackson is just like you know who he reminds me of. He reminds me a lot of Stanley Robinson from UConn in terms of like the length and the athleticism and just the absolute and utter explosiveness that he has and kind of the game-changing ability. He's so good getting to the offensive glass. But yeah, I was, I'm was i not worried. I mean, you're talking about a team that didn't have one returner playing in that game going up against a team with four seniors that was a top 20 team in the country before they lost a, a kid to a torn ACL um, that runs a Princeton offense, right? We knew that it was going to be a slow start for Kentucky because of all the new guys and the fact that they didn't have a normal offseason and the fact that they didn't have these early games to kind of uh, figure out where all of these pieces fit into the rotation and, 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 to, and all this other stuff. We knew it was going to be a slow start, so it's not surprising at all that they lost to Richmond. Maybe they probably shouldn't have lost by a dozen points. Maybe it should have been closer, but um, I mean, the, the, to me... And this this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I thought the defense was mostly there. Um, I was expecting them to get up, a, lit up a little bit more. They have a lot of things to figure out offensively, which is part of the reason I'm so worried about the uh, the point guard play. Like it's, I just don't think Devin Askew's ready, and I don't think Davian Mintz is the answer. So, couple things there. Um, yeah, they held Richmond, who is like very clearly a top 50 offense this year to under a point per possession. Uh, I think the defense is fine. Like I, I still think that they're going to be one of the elite, elite defensive teams in college basketball this season. Offensively, I think the answer is to let Terrence Clark run the show a little bit more. Nice. I would, yes. I would move Davion Mintz into the starting lineup over Devin Askew. Because I trust Davion Mintz to shoot a little bit more than I trust Devin Askew to shoot right now. Uh, everything out of Kentucky says that they think Davion Mintz is like a very high level shooter, especially whenever you can get him open looks. I would want Terrence Clark to be like the primary and then Davion Mintz to be like the secondary guy that helps him out. Uh, you know, maybe takes a, uh, like a headman pass and starts to lead the break if they're out in transition. And then in the half court, I'd probably want Terrence Clark running the show. I think he's a good enough passer to do it. Uh, decision-making is going to be the concern with Terrence Clark, but I'd want that to start working itself out now versus later in the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Although the one thing I would say is that so much of what Kentucky does in the half court 
is going to end up being running like BJ Boston off of the screens that Tyrese Maxey ran off yeah. of and that, you know, Tyler Hero ran off of and that Kevin Knox ran off of and that Malik Monk ran off of. Yep. Um, it's when, when Cal doesn't have that superstar point guard, his offense basically is just, okay, uh, BJ Boston, you're now going to run off of this, uh, this double screen or this triple screen or we're going to, um, you know, you're going to flare here and you're going to curl here. You're going to do all this. So I think so much of the offense is going to kind of get built around him in the long run. And I do expect that, again, it's going to be one of these situations where oftentimes their best offense is, okay, miss a shot. Let's go let Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar go get it kind of a thing. Yeah, it's very possible. Um And that could be enough. Like if their defense ends up being top five good, like that could be enough uh, to get them in the conversation for being – um, a team that can get to the final four and lose to Gonzaga. Yeah. Like, I think that's where I'm at. Like, everyone's just going to lose to Gonzaga, but I think that they are. Yeah, why are we even like the great thing about Gonzaga being awesome is that we, if, if the season gets shut down because of the coronavirus, at least we know who's going to win the title, right? <laughs> it's going to be Gonzaga. Just give them the banner now, man. Shit. Um, the other team I want to talk about is Duke real quick. I, I watched the Coppin State game right before we got on. Uh, I have concerns. I have some real concerns right now with Duke. I've got to tell you. I am significantly more concerned about Duke than I am about Kentucky. Like Kentucky, you can see a path to them being really, really good. I do not know how Duke can end up being good. Like I legitimately think there's a real chance that they could end up being like a 500 team this year. Okay. I'm not that worried. Uh, I'm definitely not that worried, but I think their pathway is letting Jalen Johnson like run point and playing DJ Stewart as like the combo guard who is like the quote unquote point guard, right? Um, they played Jordan Goldwire today. I, I don't, I don't really get it. They tend to, they I know started Jordan Goldwire, Joey Baker, and Matthew Hurt while playing Jalen Johnson at the five. Yeah. I'm, That's I'm, a problem. I'm not. That's a problem. They got their ass kicked. The best player on the other than Jalen Johnson, right? The best player on the floor in that Coppin State game was some dude that they I don't even know what his name was. They had like the six five lefty. They kept dunking on him. Yeah, that guy was good. Well, they had two of he, them. That's the thing. Like they had both Anthony Tark and the Clayton kid. Uh, they're both. They both like look kind of similar when you don't know which one is which, right? So, <laughs> I mean, they, but one of, one of them had 16, the other one had like 18. Like Those two... Those no, no, two, they both two, had 22. Good. They were both really good in that game. Um, Tark had like 22 and 9, so I think you're talking about Anthony Tark. Uh, he like washed. He rinsed uh, Matthew Hurt a few times. and <laughs> Yes, he did. Uh, I will say this, like, Matthew Hurt was not a disaster in that game. Like, I am not nearly as worried about Matthew Hurt rocking an Eric Gagne goatee than I am about Joey Baker playing for this Duke team at all. Yeah, it's – I just don't understand. So there's a couple things, right? Like I don't understand how they're going to be able to guard at any kind of reasonable level if they don't have any kind of rim protection – and you're playing Joey Baker and Matthew Hurt, right? Or you don't have any kind of rim protection and you're going to be playing three guards like um, Jordan Goldwire and DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach. Like there, there's, there's no path to them in my mind to being a good defensive team. 
I, I just, I don't see what it is. And if you see a way for them to get there, like, please enlighten me. I just, I don't know what it is. So you're basically asking Jalen Johnson to take over. And like, he's really, really, really fucking good. But I don't think that there is enough firepower on that team. Like, outside of Jalen Johnson, who are you really scared of there? Like, if Matthew Hurt is going to go out there and get you for 20, you know, you're probably going to get 18 back at the other end of the floor. Like, yeah, Jordan Gold, Jordan Gold Wire shooting. I think. DJ Stewart's really good. And he did have 24 in that game. So I, maybe I am over exaggerating it a little bit, but still, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm much more worried about them than I was, uh, heading into the season. Like I, to me, if you looked at the pieces on the paper, they kind of fit together the way that you would want a Duke team to fit together. Um, but there's just no five man. Like I, I just. If Mark Williams isn't going to play in and around the basket, if he can't come in and make a real impact against Coppin State, how are you going to have any kind of rim protection? How are you going to have any kind of five man when you get to ACC play? Well, Mark Williams is always going to be a project. Like, I'm not real worried about that. Like, I think what they're going to have to do is if I, if I was Coach K, I would start DJ Stewart over Joey Baker and I would play Goldwire Stewart more hurt Johnson. I would let Goldwire kind of make plays and pick and roll and run the offense and free DJ Stewart to get open shots and get free. Uh, by the way, DJ Stewart played the second most minutes in that game. So like, I know he came yeah. off the bench, but DJ Stewart is going to be just fine. He's really good. Um, if I was them, I would just let Jalen Johnson like straight run point more often though uh and i know that they need gold wire on the court for the problem is they don't have enough two-way guys right like jalen johnson can play both ends of the court wendell moore sort of kind of can like i'm still very worried that wendell moore might not like have the requisite athleticism to be like a super high level player um in DJ Stewart, you can see a pathway because he plays really hard and he's just such a high-level offensive player to where as long as he's passable defensively, and I think he will get passable defensively because he plays as hard as he does, you're fine. There's not really any other like true two-way guy on the court because Hurt is not very good on defense, although his ability to like absorb contact now has clearly drastically improved. Uh Goldwire is like defense only. Joey Baker, I'm frankly not real sure what Joey Baker does after that Coppin State game. Uh, Jeremy Roach, it seems like, is going to be a little bit farther away than what uh, Duke fans were hoping for from a point guard. Like, I'm sure that Duke would love a world where they could start Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, Wendell Moore, Jalen Johnson, and Matthew Hurt but I'm not quite sure Roach is ready for that yet. And then hope that Jamin Brakefield can come in and like, just kind of be an energy guy who does a lot of different shit. Right. Like that's, that's the pathway, right? Yeah. I, I just, I think the most important thing that you said there is they don't have many guys that can be two way players. And to me, when your best defensive lineup and your best offensive lineup have like three or four different guys in them, that ends up being a really difficult thing to buy into, especially when like you have 
so many small guards that aren't necessarily great defenders and so many wings that are going to get blown by so often and you have absolutely no rim protection. Like there's just the cohesiveness on that roster is it just I, I don't I don't see how the pieces fit together. And OK, when I said that they were going to be a 500 team, yes, that was that was an overstatement. But it would not surprise me to see them finish like 10 and 8 in the ACC this year. Not at all. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying, just because the defense, there is some like real concern there. I kind of think that Jalen Johnson is just good enough to where they're going to be fine, given the rest of the talent. He he is he is really really good. Yeah, like I fucked up putting him at nineteen on my mock draft. Like he's definitely a lottery guy. Like it's not even in question. Yeah, I mean when you're that big and you can pass the way that he can pass, it's just you can't teach that combination of things. You know, if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. So, um, yeah, it's. He's he's fun to watch. I'll give you that. I just don't know if they have the pieces around him that are necessarily going to be good enough to kind of allow that talent to flourish. Right? Like you really want to surround him with a whole bunch of like three and D guys. That's basically what you're, he's he's screaming out for, right? Yeah. Just kind of give him space to operate and let him make decisions. Yeah. You know, put a put someone in the dunker spot and put three shooters around him and let Jalen Johnson go. That's what you want to do. Well. It's very hard to do when you don't have great shooters to put around him and or great defenders around or anybody to put in the like are you gonna put Joey Baker in the dunker spot? Are you gonna put Matthew Hurt down there? Like what I just I don't see how it all kind of fits together. It's just a very weird roster to me, and I don't like weird rosters that don't fit. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kinda with that. I, I just have they they have enough talent to where I'm not like jumping ship totally but it's gonna be a weird year and like frankly part of this too for me that makes it a bit more worrisome is that look i know that duke has finished eighth 12th 6th and ninth in adjusted defensive rating over the course of the last few years but they have these games that make me think that they're not ever awesome defensively right now like do you agree with that yeah, I, I mean, that's been the big question mark on them for like the last 100 years was how good are they going to end up being defensively? Like even the year that they won the title, there was a game, I want to say it was at home against Miami. Are you talking about the Okafor year? Yeah, the Okafor year, the year they won the title. There yeah, was a Angel game Rodriguez played, just sliced them. Lit them up in ball screens. And after that game, they were like 70th in adjusted defensive efficiency on Kempom. And they turned it all around, mostly because, you know, Justice Winslow is, is just an absolute monster when you put him at the four. And, and they kind of found ways to hide Jaleel. And, you know, in the tournament, they actually were, if you extrapolated that out across the whole season, their defensive efficiency would have been like the third best defensive efficiency in the history of Kempom. That's how good they were in the tournament. Yeah. I still don't quite understand how that was actually possible. Or if I saw that and it wasn't just a fever dream, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that it did actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do with Duke yet. I don't, it's going to be a, weird I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you want to do with Duke. You want to fade them against Michigan state and then fade them against Illinois. That's what you want to do. By the way, I had no idea. Bellarmine is now a division one team. Yeah, they are. Shout out Bellarmine. Sure. Like, 
let's, let's do this thing. I knew that Tarleton State was, but I did not know that Bill Armin was. Do you know who's the coach at uh, Tarleton State? I do. Billy Clyde, baby. <sighs> Why are we still hiring Billy Clyde to coach <laughs> people to play basketball? Did, did I did I tell you what happened to me this uh, this summer with Billy Clyde? Almost assuredly, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put names in it because I don't know if I'm allowed to put names in it. Um, but so I, when when Billy Clyde was hired by Tarleton State, oh yeah, State, you told me this. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Like I, I wrote, I wrote a column just like skewering him and, and telling all of the awful things that he's done over his career, and like I, I only scratched the surface, and some of them are really, really awful. Um, so uh, the next day, I get a call from a, like a Fort Worth number, and like I just don't, I, I don't answer any number that isn't saved in my phone. Like if you call me from a number that isn't saved in my phone, I will not answer it. It'll go to voicemail. If it's someone that I need to talk to, they'll either text me or they'll leave a voicemail. That's just, I, I get too many spam robocalls to, to bother answering anything that's not in my phone. They don't leave a voicemail. You don't send a text. They call right back and then they call again and they call again. So by the fourth one, I'm like, I, I probably need to answer this, this call. Um, I'm like, hello. And then this like thick Texas accent. Someone's like, is this Rob? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Rob, this is Billy Gillespie. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I spend the next six minutes talking to Billy Gillespie, who's like, why did you write those things? Those are lies. Next time I see you, we're going to have to fight. And in my head, I'm like, I can't believe like I'm going to have to fight Billy Gillespie at Peach Jam. Like, it's going to end up happening. I'm going to have to fight Billy Gillespie. And I'm like, I'm starting to get a little nervous because like, do I really want to? He's had a heart attack. Um, you know, he's like he's, 60 he's, years old now. 60 something years old. I think he's like five foot. Like, I really don't want to have to fight a five foot 10, 60 year old guy in front of everybody at Peach Jam. Like, cause that's just what go through my head. That's what's going to happen. Um, and eventually, like, I hear cackling in the background and it's Jeff Goodman who had <laughs> set me up with, uh, with, with a different, um, with a different coach who had a, a Fort Worth, uh, area code on his phone, uh, and is very good at doing accents, apparently. Um, so yeah, I was, I was in the middle of having a heart attack because I didn't want to fight Billy Gillespie and I hear, uh, Jeff Goodman just cackling in the background. So yeah, that's my Billy Gillespie story. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, we're out on Billy Gillespie. Billy Gillespie should not be coaching college basketball. Let's just be a hundred percent upfront here. It's the dude's got like seven DUIs. He had, he had someone that the school paid when he was at Kentucky. They had someone that was paid to make sure that he did not get behind the wheel when he was drunk. Yeah, and that's, that's when you know you got a problem. And that you, you like, might have a problem. Is, is that like number four on the list of bad things? Not to like excuse driving drunk, which never should in a million years happen. But like, I think that's like in like not in the top three like terrible things, given the fact that he was accused of like terrible player mistreatment at Texas Tech, and then didn't he like? Didn't he have like some sort of weird lawsuit in Kentucky as well? And like, it's the whole thing. There was a, a lot of, there was a lot of really, really problematic stuff um, that he was doing. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you another story about Billy Gillespie. Um, they were, when he was at Texas A&M, uh, one of the players on the team was dating the daughter um, of a booster. And, uh, like to get at a bad game at the big, like the big 12 tournament or something like that. And they get back on the charter to fly home. And Billy Gillespie made the kid call that girl 
and break up with her on the phone in front of the entire team and the booster who was on the flight while the kid was making the call to break up with his daughter. That's the kind of guy that Billy Gillespie is. A horrible human being. We're out on Billy Gillespie. It's pretty gross. Just a gross human being. Um, Rob Doster, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Doster. You can find the podcast network that uh, that I launched at the Field of 68. Uh, I host a podcast with former West Virginia All-American Deshaun Butler. Jeff Goodman's on there. He hosts a podcast with former Purdue All-American Robbie Hummel. And then we have a series of, I believe it's now 22 different uh, team-specific podcasts, whether it's Kentucky or North Carolina or Indiana or Syracuse or any program that you actually care about. Uh, we have a podcast hosted by a former player um, of that team, specifically dedicated to that team. We also, Sam, just added a second uh, all-women's college basketball podcast um, to the network. Debbie Antonelli and Christy Williams Scott uh, – I'm sorry, Christy Winter Scott uh, are both hosting podcasts on the network that are about as good as anything that you're going to get for women's basketball. So I don't know how many women's basketball fans that we have on this uh, this specific show, but if that's the kind of thing that you're into, we have that as well. Go follow all of the podcasts over at Field of 68. They really do a great job over there. I'm very happy that Rob has started this podcast network with Jeff Goodman. It's uh a really, really interesting idea in a smart way to hopefully engage a lot of fans across the college basketball ecosystem. I will be back later this week with more podcasting. I'm actually going to jump back into NBA free agency here to talk about what happened uh, over the offseason as we get into training camps for the NBA. I'll also just be kind of evaluating high school or college kids, though, for the next couple of weeks. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.